All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where we discuss the plausibility of sci-fi concepts with experts. I'm your host, Heidi Kampo, and today we're exploring the science behind super soldier serums in Captain America. All decks prepare for hyperdrive. Activate Tractive. 60% hyperspeed. Ready for light speed? No, 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 light speed is too slow. All right, reality check. The science of fiction. Joining us is Dr. Escalante, and Dr. Escalante is currently an assistant dean and professor of kinesiology at California State San Bernardino. Did I say that right? That's right. Oh, I'm so good. And he is also the vice president of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, chair of the NSCA Bodybuilding and Fitness Special Interest Group, scientific advisor for the National Academy of Sports Medicine, and a competitive bodybuilder forget this, over 20 years. That's amazing because most bodybuilders, they do one show and then they're they're out because that's a lot. It's a lot to go through. So 20 years resume as a, a competitive bodybuilder is amazing. So stay with us to the end where Dr. Escalante is going to be tackling our burning question, which is, is it even remotely possible to enhance our soldiers like they do to Steve Rogers in Captain America? Now, Before we jump into this, I do want to highlight how special it is that Dr. Escalante agreed to tackle this topic with us because he has over 100 peer-reviewed manuscripts, abstracts, or magazine web publications. That's insane. He speaks at conferences throughout the nation and the world about physique enhancement, muscular hypertrophy, body composition, performance-enhancing drugs, aka PEDs. I don't know why I said that so excited. I promise I'm not like some kind of crazy addict, but it's such an interesting topic. Uh, And sports nutrition. And if that wasn't enough, he's also the, he was the lead subject matter expert for a comprehensive 20 plus chapter NASM physique and bodybuilding coaching program. Wow. So without further ado, let's get ready for another mind-blowing episode of Reality Check. And I'm going to start with our topic introduction Everybody loves the character Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, who originally showed up in Timely Comics, not Marvel Comics. He was in a Timely Comics in 1940. And did you guys know that to create the skinny Steve, they had to shoot the scenes three different times. Once normal with everybody, the second time with just Chris Evans and a green screen, and the third time was with his body double. And to make it more believable... They had to put marks on normal size Steve's chin that were supposed to represent where small skinny Steve's eyes would be. And this would help the other actors know where to look in these scenes. And after he receives his super soldier injection and is exposed to the vital radiation, they were able to film with Chris Evans at a regular size for the rest of that movie. And I just think the idea of the super soldier serum is extremely exciting. Like you guys see me like dancing over here, basically. And both myself and Dr. Escalante have worked in human performance settings for cumulatively for a very long time and both of us individually for a very long time and experience. We both have experience with, have you, I don't know, you've you've done mostly bodybuilding. You haven't dabbled in strongman powerlifting. I'm not strongman and and powerlifting. No, uh, it's mainly been bodybuilding or other, or other sports, other sports. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So I'm the, I'll, I'll, uh, hold down the strong man and powerlifting anecdotes here, but it is a well-known fact that those athletes tend to experiment with a wide range of things that can enhance them because they are very competitive and there's not as much regulation in those sports. And so we do see those athletes really pushing the envelope as far as human performance goes. So Dr. Esquante, tell me some of your initial thoughts with Captain America and what do you think might have been in that serum? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I really appreciate the history of, of the movie making because that, that's really neat that you have that background and that information uh, to see uh, how, how they were able to capture some of this, it, especially from, from decades ago, right? Um, but, uh, you know, that serum, um, you know, what could it be? And, and you know, is it really something that is sci-fi? And, uh, well... Uh, there's 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 a little bit of science behind that because actually uh, the U.S. military has been utilizing um, and examining per- the use of performance enhancement drugs to enhance the performance of soldiers. Uh, so they've actually 
um, earmarked uh, some of their funds for research uh, in government agencies to perform research on soldiers, and mainly for the purpose of um, realistically enhancing performance and actually even for the safety of the of the soldiers themselves. So um, usually it's testosterone or testosterone derivatives that are being used. Uh, so they, and these would be considered uh, anabolic steroids uh, that are utilized. And they're used in, in moderate to, um, I'm going to say low to moderate dosages, not in, not in extreme super physiological dosages, because uh, obviously safety is still a concern um, mm -hmm. and that uh, they don't go for, for long terms, but uh, but there are actually, if you actually go on just, you can go on, on uh, Google Scholar and uh, put in anabolic steroids and U.S. Army or anabolic steroids and um, military. And then you can actually see some of these uh, peer-reviewed publications uh, that have been done. Uh, they've even been doing some of this in in rats, for example, or, or other rodents uh, to see if exposure to some of these anabolic agents can actually work uh, in uh, alleviating symptoms, for example, from, uh, well, as you know, as a soldier, you're going to be going and you're going to have explosions all the time that are going to be going on. Uh, and this may actually call, cause uh, small amounts of uh, brain trauma. Um, and then that small amount of brain trauma can actually lead to a reduced testosterone production over time. Uh, right, right. And I've known that with MMA fighters are at such a huge risk of low testosterone throughout their career. Absolutely. So th there's a link between all of these. So, uh, you know, some of the things that they're actually looking at is, hey, can we actually utilize some of this testosterone or testosterone derivatives to maybe uh, alleviate some of these symptoms in these soldiers who have gone through these different blasts? Uh, other specific research that has been done that's actually very interesting is, uh, as you know, soldiers are go through uh, very intense training and they, they may go on very intense missions where uh, sleep is going to be deprived. Uh, if they're going to have a very limited amount of food. And we know just those two things alone, sleep deprivation is going to be, um, it's going to significantly impact your ability to perform, to think. Uh, it's going to decrease uh, testosterone levels. It's going to also uh, decrease lean body mass over time. So it, it's it's not a, not a good situation, that, that, that stress alone. Uh, secondly, uh, having a severe caloric deficit. So if, if you're if you're only eating three, five hundred, eight hundred calories a day because there's limited amount of food or limited time to eat because you're on a mission to save your life, um, it's going to be very difficult to. And of course, you're 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 moving. You're 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 running. You are you're you're walking. You have a backpack. You have gear on. Uh, you might have to climb, you might have to stoop, you may have to X, Y, Z. So all, all of the military stuff that you would see in, in a movie um, is, is there, it's relevant. Um, and as a result of that, think of all of the caloric expenditure that is going on uh, with these soldiers, uh, the, the, the stress of being in, that you may, you may die in this mission. Um, so you have lack of food, you have the stress of potential death, and then you have the stress of lack of sleep because you don't have time to sleep. Um, obviously, now you're in this mission for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks over time, uh, where it's gonna it's gonna have major impacts on your body. So, what we do know collectively, these soldiers are gonna uh, drop a significant amount of lean body mass. Uh, they're gonna uh, and their body's gonna kind of go into a conservation mode. Not only that, they're not gonna be as alert. They're not gonna be as strong. They're not gonna be able to perform as much. So. Um, what they've actually done is, hey, let's actually see if we can maybe enhance their performance and minimize the amount of muscle mass that they're going to lose and minimize the amount of strength that they're going to lose by giving them a uh, special serum, right? And that special serum would be uh, basically like a, a performance enhancement drug, which would be like an anabolic steroid. So they, they give them dosages of uh, testosterone at different dosages, anywhere from 200 milligrams up to 750 milligrams. Um, and then it, it, so it's not, it's not exuberant, but it's enough to uh, potentially create that performance enhancement benefit. And of course they are monitoring other, other health risk factors as well. They're not just uh, giving it uh, blindly, you know, it is medically supervised um, and it's, it's given in a more responsible setting. And then they're measuring uh, what what are the effects of some of these factors. So that uh, 
in, in terms of their ability to, can they retain some of their lean, lean mass over time? Uh, does their strength um, uh, maintain, is it maintained over, over a period of time? Uh, so there are various studies that have actually be, been done in this regard. So uh, this is the type of special serum that, that uh, can be used by some of these uh, uh, different um, agencies uh, that have been investigated. So, so it sounds like they're primarily using testosterone and I know there's a cocktail of them out there. And I will say disclaimer to anybody listening who's under 18, don't touch it. If you're, if you are still developing, don't, don't even look into this stuff. Just, just look at it with a curious mindset. And if you ever do decide that it's something you want to look into, look, I can't stop you. Nobody can stop you, but please consult with a highly qualified professional before you touch anything that can chemically alter your body. And that, that'll that be my soapbox. If you want to add anything to that, you can. But now I do know that Anavar was originally um, designed to help prevent muscle wasting. So is that something that could potentially be beneficial to them as well? Or are there potentially harmful side effects that would minimize the benefit to them? Yeah, there are. So Anavar is is uh, obviously a... Uh, 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 testosterone derivative, but uh, the way that it's usually administered is orally, and for it to not uh, not to be broken down and for it to be um, effective, uh, it's got to be alkylated at the 17th carbon atom uh, for for it not to go through that first bypass. So, in other words, if you don't alkylate oral steroids at that 17th carbon atom, then your body's going to break it down, and it's not going to really get to 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 the to produce the effects that you want it to. So it's going to basically break it down and you're going to have no effects. So oral steroids uh, are all alkylated at the 17th carbon atom to allow for oral administration uh, to be effective. That being said, um, they they pose the greatest risk. So it, it, it sounds counterintuitive that, that an oral pill is more harmful than an injection because an injection sounds more, uh, I'm going to say, um, um, intimidating per se. Uh, but at the same time, actually oral steroids have actually higher um, higher risk factors and, and higher things to be concerned about. So really the, the, the injection is the preferred method of choice or pellets. There are pellets that can be- Oh, uh, that get inserted. Yeah, a, a low dose of some of that. But, but uh, typically um, I tend to um, not recommend at all oral steroids or if, if, you're, if people do them, very short amounts of time because prolonged use of that can really uh, create liver injury uh, over time. So whereas what you don't see the same effect with with the oral, I mean, with the injectable uh, versions of the substances. So uh, any any one of those that are uh, oral derivatives are are going to be actually create more harm uh, in the long term. So use short term probably not a big deal, but if you if you're using Anavar for a long period of time. Um, and long period of time could be, you know, 12 weeks, uh, you're going to actually see elevated liver enzymes pretty quickly, uh, because your, your, your liver has to break that down. Uh, so it, it's going to be any, when you're doing a, a, an injectable, uh, you're not going to have to, to do that. And I want to backtrack a little bit. I'm glad you said you gave the disclaimer because I think so many times people just want a shortcut to getting the results and they they automatically think oh it's just because of steroids or peds that people get this and you have to really backtrack a little bit is you have to realize whether we're talking baseball where you know players are hitting you know 60 70 home runs a year or uh your 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 sprinters like the Miriam joneses that are that are breaking world records uh you know these people were the best of the best before they even touched the stuff and they were doing a lot of things right before they even touched the stuff. So I, I always like to say there's a hierarchy in in what you need to do. And and the, at the very bottom of that hierarchy is basically, you know, what's your genetic potential and, and who are your parents, right? Um, so there's a big component of that. And then layered at the top of that is going to be, you know, are you training properly? Are you dieting properly? Are you feeding your body the appropriate uh, micro and macronutrients to support your training? Are you sleeping enough? Um, are you are you uh, are you getting wasted every weekend, you know, and 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 drinking a significant amount of alcohol? Because if and, and I'm thinking of that that young individual, right? That they think, uh, oh, if I take this, that's what's going to get me to the next level. But they're doing all these other things wrong, right? So we can't 
choose the fate of our parents, but we can choose if we train right and effectively and efficiently and smartly. We can choose if we sleep enough uh, and adequately. Uh, we can choose if our, our try to kind of mitigate our stress by you know the choices that we make. We can choose if we drink or not, or or if we do how much and how often. We can choose what we put in our mouth every day uh, in getting enough protein, getting enough uh, micronutrients, getting enough X, Y, Z, uh, getting enough calories. Um, and if, if you're not doing any of those things right, the drugs will work, but they're going to work at a much lower amount. And, and really, uh, I think you need to build that foundation of consistent training, consistent nutrition, consistent sleep, uh, not for six months, not for a year. I'm talking for years. Uh, and then build that foundation and then it reach your natural potential and then uh, figure out, you know, what it is. And then you may realize you don't even need to use some of these things. Uh, or you may realize once you're a mature adult and you have the, the, the maturity and the financial resources to be able to consult with a medical professional in using some of this stuff, um, then you're going to be able to uh, make better decisions because uh, that's another thing that I like to say is uh, sometimes people think of, uh, first of all, there's a cost to using to using these things. And it can be quite a big cost that people don't realize. Yes, it can. I mean, sometimes to, to the to the tune of um, I'm talking, you know, a thousand to four th- or five thousand dollars a month, uh, depending mm-hmm. on what it is that you're doing in the quantities. So that's number one. Um, number two, no physicians ever going to prescribe any of this stuff. So you in in the United States, you are breaking the law because it's it's not a uh, it's a controlled substance, right? And uh, there are underground sources in which you'd have to get some of this stuff. Uh, number three is you also have to realize that um, I like to say it's kind of like buying a a high end car. So let's say you buy your your dream Mercedes or your dream BMW, and you okay, perfect. I can afford that fifteen hundred dollar a month payment. That's cool. But then you think about how much it's going to cost to do the insurance and cost to do the maintenance on that car when you change the oil, when you do all these other things. And this is what the other external factors. So in addition to that costly month to just get the stuff, you should have earmarked a certain amount of money to see a, a medical doctor, to get blood work done, uh, to get other medical tests done, to make sure that your health is is good uh, over time. Because uh this stuff typically doesn't kill you acutely. It, it, it kills you uh, chronically over time. So if you're not monitoring all these health biomarkers over time, um, you're, you're setting yourself up for disaster. So, uh, and, and when we see the research, we actually see that most anabolic steroid users, um, when they start, they don't use it one time or two times. They use it for, an av- for a, a, a range of five to 15 years. Uh, oh, yeah, that's because that's, you know, from from twenty to whenever you start winding down your athletic career, and um, I'll, I'll let you finish your point, but I do want to ask you. So you've done a significant amount of research with this yourself, and ethically, you can't prescribe anything because, like you said, it's illegal. But observational research is allowed. So you have been in the fortunate academic position to be able to to research this, and this is. I still feel like PEDs. It's you know, you know, is it's research. It's researched in people's garage gyms, and you are truly one of the few people who is putting in putting this under an academic lens. So I'm curious about your research. And the other thing I'm really curious about, going back to what you were saying, is laying the groundwork of eating a healthy diet, getting enough sleep, and whatnot. That is the thing that just kills me about our military is how they just do not provide an environment for their soldiers to do that. And I understand missions are one thing. But then you look at some of these other places where these um, guys are being brought up, like West Point. My my husband went to West Point, and just hearing some of the stories of, okay, you guys have five minutes to eat your food, eat it as fast as you can, and just some really really unhealthy conditions. And then they expect their soldiers or operators to perform optimally when they they didn't cover any of those basics to begin with. So. Those are kind of my two questions is your um, your research and then just talking to how maybe some of our military members can undo the damage of their lifestyle that's forced upon them through their job. Yeah. So g- great question. So the research I have done, you're right. It, because because of the 
the line of work that we're in um, and because it's very rare to see most of the people that are doing uh, that are actually prescribing the stuff. Uh, you know, they're, it's, it's a medical group, medical doctor. So like Dr. Dr. Pope is a, is a famous researcher in Harvard uh, who actually does a lot of this stuff. He's, he's a medical doctor and a PhD. Uh, and he is actually one of the few people that has prescribed people uh, some of these things. And again, it's medically supervised. Uh, that being said, you can only give so much drug, right? So uh, the, the highest quantities that have been reported in the literature are so far around 600 milligrams per week of, of testosterone, which, which is uh, a high amount, but it's relatively a low amount compared to what, what is used in the field. Um, because there's no way that uh, an institutional review board that protects safety of participants is going to approve you to give something uh, to the effect of two grams, three grams uh, of, of, of drug where you know that it's going to have deleterious effects. So uh, that's never going to happen. So as a result, to your point, most of the research that we see in the field has to be observational in nature. So in other words, I'm not prescribing anything to people. I'm not telling them what to take, how much to take. Uh, all I'm saying is, is, are you a performance enhancement drug user? Yes or no? And then I may take some that are yes, some that are no. And then all I do is I observe and I ask, what are you doing? What are you taking? How much are you taking? And then I can actually observe I can, I can do certain tests, for example, like we can measure blood pressure, we could measure, uh, and there are other things that have been done, like they've, they've actually, uh, not in my lab, but we've actually, uh, they've, they've actually studied, for example, uh, different uh, components of the heart, like ejection fraction, uh, or they've measured um, uh, other, other health biomarkers. They can actually take blood and look at what happens to these different uh, biomarkers, such as hematocrit levels, or red blood cell counts, or liver enzymes. Uh, so you can look at other biomarkers of uh, cardiovascular function, uh, such as uh, cholesterol. So you can do, you can run a, uh, a lipid panel and see what's going on. So uh, these are all things that you can actually do and you can actually to look at to see what are the repercussions uh, or the effects of these higher dosages on people that take X, Y, or Z. So um, that's kind of the nature of what we see in, in research. Um, and and in, in my lab, what, what we recently published, uh, it just came out in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research in August. We actually looked at uh, what were the the nutritional exercise and performance enhancement drug practices of competitors uh, leading up to competition um, in the last thirty days. So one of the profiles that we ask is, hey, what kind of drugs are you using? Uh, if you're using any, so some, there were some that we're not using. But a large percentage were. Um, and then, and this was just at a local show. This wasn't at a pro level show. This was a national qualifying event. Um, and then uh, we're asking them, what are the dosages that they took per week? Uh, and we see a lot of different things. We, th we see SARMs, we see different types of anabolic steroids, we see uh, human growth hormone, we see insulin, we see thyroid medication. So we see a, a lot of different things that are, that are being used by these, by these athletes, not prescribed by me or anybody else. It was, something that they chose to do and they, they were comfortable in reporting it. Um, and it's very interesting to see what, what we, uh, to, to, uh, to see what, what is, what is reported. Reality check. The science. Of fiction. In addition, I've also had participants come to the lab who, uh, are using performance aspen drugs and some of the observations that I make, I'll measure their blood pressure. And you know you have a 28 year old male or female uh, with with hypertension. This is somebody that's eating healthy. You know it has a low body fat percentage, um, and they have hypertension. Well, and then when you kind of ask why, you look at the drug profile, and then it, it probably makes sense because there uh, some of that can actually lead to hypertension uh, because increase uh, a high amount of testosterone and other performance aspirin drugs can activate the a renin-angiotensin system, the ROS system, which can then uh, increase uh, hypertension. That's one of the potential side effects which, and, and other cardiovascular effects that it can have. So those are the things that we actually see, um, you know, with people coming in the lab. Yeah. So and, and, it's, it, and it's so scary that it's like you just said, they're taking all sorts of different things because the coaching advice that's coming out there that's not coming from trained medical professionals is either, well, this is what my coach had me do, or it's like, this is just what I read. 
on Reddit. And so it's like, it's so varied. So it is really neat what you're doing. Cause I would love, I, I'm a big believer in research and legalization. Cause I'm like, I think we need to put this stuff on the map academically so that people can get educated. So they're not getting hurt. Cause I do see the news and bodybuilders are, you know, the pro level ones are dropping like flies right now. And it's really sad. And if we did have more education going into this, we could save a lot of lives and not have such varied results in what people are taking. And people could understand their their left and right limits of what's safe and what's not and what's maybe pushing it in a little bit in the red, but it's okay if you're doing X, Y, or Z. And and I just I think that's really cool what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate it. And and we we did just publish a paper um at the end of 2022, looking at, uh, we looked at autopsy reports of uh, bodybuilders who died under the age of 50. And uh, it's, it was actually, this is related to cardiovascular deaths. And, um, uh, you know, it's amazing and scary when you see uh, what, what is there, you know, the average age of death was like 36, 37 years old. Um, You know, and I mean, we, we saw, um, we saw an individual died, I mean, 26 years old, you know, dying of, of, cardiac complications, that's not a normal scenario uh, when, when you see it. And then when you actually see the autopsy reports, you, you see, uh, well, what, what did these individuals have in common? Well, uh, the, the weight of the heart. So the, 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 the heart got too big, essentially. So we have cardiac hypertrophy occurring uh, where uh, the, the average human heart of a, of a, of a male is about 370 some grams, uh, whereas these individuals were basically at you know close to 600 grams, the highest one. Wow, you're yes. kidding me. Yeah, so you see a lot of this, and then you see left ventricular hypertrophy that that's prominent in a lot of them. You see atherosclerosis that's very common in a lot of them. Um, so you see some common threads, uh, and it you know you can't say cause and effect, right? But but there there's definitely a smoking gun. And you, you need to investigate further because there are other components that are going to contribute to some of this. But nevertheless, uh, one common denominator is the the amount of anabolic steroids that they are using in the polypharmacy uh, that that you see. Uh, so that that's very common. And that's probably why we see the military sticking to smaller doses of testosterone, which kind of circles back to my other question is how can we how can service members um, or operators mitigate, you know, all the atrophy and the issues that they're experiencing in the field, or even just guys going to West Point or in boot camp or just, you know, any military jobs or even first responders for that, for that matter? Yeah. And, and I, you know, this is kind of a difficult question because I do see the point of if you're a soldier, um, you kind of have to, if, if, and if you're out in, on the battlefield, right, you, you don't have the luxury of eating every three hours. You don't have the luxury of sleeping eight hours. You don't have the luxury of training. Uh, you don't have the luxury of water uh, in a lot of instances. So uh, as a result, I think uh, the reason they kind of train them in this regard is because that's the reality of what their environment could potentially be uh, when they're when they're out on, on, on the field. So I think if they don't do that, they may be doing them a disservice because then they never experience that. Now, that being said, I think you have to kind of find that balance uh, within that, because um, obviously, if you're if you're trying to maximize performance, then you need to take some of these things into consideration uh, to be able to to do that. Um, and, and I think you, you may be able to find a compromise or maybe uh, and, and, and the, the, the army, the military is actually working on some of this where. I actually just re- uh, reviewed a paper on uh, different types of uh, gels and bars that are used for for the military, and uh, they're actually looking at that component. It's like what kind of functional foods can be made available to these soldiers that that is easy for them to consume on on the field, in the battlefield, in in when they're out and about. Uh, that is actually more. Uh, nutritionally balanced that can actually maximize muscle protein synthesis uh, that has adequate amounts of protein and the right quality of protein. So this is some of the things that they are looking at right now, uh, which is actually, it's actually very interesting uh, to see it uh, because it's, it's, it's something that is needed. Um, And then now what they're seeing is like, Hey, some of these bars that they're maybe they're using, 
maybe it wasn't the best composition of food and maybe not the best type of quality protein. So can they give them something else that's going to be uh, more more efficient for them to be able to use, more beneficial for them when they're out on the field? So to to your point, so that they they are getting better fuel and and minimizing the the losses that they may get from from being in those conditions. That's cool. So it sounds like I mean I'm so glad to hear they're working on it because it just kills me to see these guys suffering, guys and gals. But um, it really makes me think about more like any other future technologies. And like in Captain America, they brought the Vita radiation into the mix. He gets injected with his serum and then it's um, he's exposed to the Vita radiation. And boom, he's a foot taller. He's super muscular, got handsome. I'm like, I'll take that that drug. <laughs> it's like, just make me look good. But are there any other, um, I don't know, just future enhancements or emerging technologies beyond chemical that are complementary to augmenting human performance? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And uh, I think we touched on one briefly, which is, you know, nutrition. I think, I think, um, I mean, what, what is, what is the most potent drug? I mean, when I, when I speak to different athletes, I tell them, it's like, you know, what, what's the most potent drug that you can use that's legal? Your food, right? And, and, and realistically, I mean, that is your, that is your energy uh, system, and that that is the way that you can really fuel your your body. Uh, so, you know, to, to name it a drug is probably not appropriate, but it is it is a tool that uh, can definitely help you. Uh, and and essentially, I mean, food food foods are chemicals in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's that's the way our, our body breaks them down. So it's just that it, they're different organic chemicals that are broken down, and and through biochemical processes, we we utilize them for energy. Uh, we utilize them to build muscle. We utilize it for all of the biological functions that are there. So um, when we see the food, I think uh, looking specifically at what type of macro and micronutrients and in what ratios can we actually use and, and, and focusing the technology on that, we can actually uh, get a lot of benefits. And then even looking at things as like, you know, uh, not only quantities, but even potentially timing of some of these things. Um, and with the soldiers specifically, I think that's something that, again, they're kind of starting to look at where, you know, you, you're not going to be able to sit down and have a, you know, a, a chicken breast and some, some rice and some vegetables and oatmeal and egg whites and berries and, you know, be able to, to sit down and have a, a gourmet meal. But you may be able to get, get this bar under your belt uh, that, that's not going to spoil, that's not going to melt, um, that is a functional food that is going to give me uh, you know, some fiber, some micronutrients, uh, the right type of protein, the right quantity of protein, uh, so that I can actually absorb it. That's not going to upset my stomach, that I can actually function. I can think, um, and, and, and fuel my body accordingly. So I think that's one way in which we can, we can look at things. Um, uh, hydration strategies would be something else, right? So what, what type of things can they do to maintain their hydration levels? So, Obviously, you're going to have to drink fluids in addition to that. But, uh, you know, maybe in certain extreme environments, maybe uh, they, they may need to be enhanced with certain electrolytes that, that may actually uh, enhance performance. So looking at, looking at that technology. And then uh, other things that may help would be uh, any, of the, any, any information that you can get to look at there uh, that gives biofeedback, for example. So some of the wearable technology can actually... Got my aura ring on. I love aura ring. Big fan. No, sponsored. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think I think it's great. So you can actually look at, you know, what is happening under these certain conditions. And then you can gather that data and then you can actually you can make decisions based on on those biomarkers that your body is reading, whether it's based on heart rate, uh, you know, or or sleeps, uh, quality of sleep, all of those things, heart rate variability. Those are all things that I think that can be monitored, and then you could actually see the effects of uh, different interventions that you're doing. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing, which I love, is that there's not really any emerging technologies that are new or different, like I don't know, electromagnetism or radiation or something kind of sci-fi futuristic that could aid in our enhancement. Enhancement. It's all of the tools that we already have at our disposal. And I just love that. But there's there's nothing because I've I've heard um I don't know some weird things. Like someone told me about there's like this 
uh, I don't know if it was like a wearable, like a band or something, but it cools down your blood. So it slows down fatigue because you stay cooler longer and the body doesn't have to work as hard to prevent fatigue. Like, are, are there any, um, I guess this would be so much in the bodybuilding sphere, but when dealing with things like soldier fatigue and needing to perform at high levels for long times, are there any other technologies that are emerging that can aid with advanced human performance? You know that I think um, I probably haven't read enough in that particular area to see what is available. I mean, there, I, I'm 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 always a skeptic, you know, when it comes to some of this, you know. As is, but but I'm I'm one of those that I I never I like to learn from everyone, and then you know, just because I'm a skeptic doesn't mean that I'm not going to look at it. So what I like to see is like, okay, we have this technology. Here's the proposed mechanism of action. Here's the proposed uh, benefits of what it may do. Uh, okay, so now let's let's put the scientific lens to it, and then let's test it. Uh, you know, over time, and and then to me, I like to see you know make sure that it's a well conducted study. Uh, you know that's that uh, everything is controlled accordingly to the best possible way. Um, you know, everything is randomized. Statistics are run correctly. Uh, that it's adequately powered with 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 a with a good sample size. Uh, you know, controlling as much as much of the variables as you can. Um, and then, you know, test it out, test the hypothesis and see, see if it works. Um, and then if you, if you see positive results in one, then, okay, cool. We have now one piece of evidence. That doesn't mean it's, it works for sure. I'd want to see, you know, three or four other studies conducted in different labs with different people, um, that, that don't have necessarily a, uh, you know, a conflict of interest in, in what they're doing. Right. And, yeah, and to yeah. me, that, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. If you, if you only see you know, uh, this is a, a good little sidebar because people sometimes often say, um, well, this research is positive because it, it's funded by the company, right? Well, but who's going to fund the research otherwise, right? Like, I yeah, mean, no, that's actually a great point. I mean, a pharmaceutical company is only going to test their drug. Why are they going to test somebody else's drug? So yeah. just because a pharmaceutical company sponsored the research doesn't mean that it's it's a biased study. What you want to be careful with is, you know, you know, who conducted the study? Was it, well, was it randomized? Was it controlled? What analyses were done? And then now if you only see one study from one company done by the same lab over and over again, I don't raise a red flag, but I raise a yellow flag because it's only one lab. So, you know, is there a relationship there? But now if I see that that company sponsors research with lab A, B, C, and D, and now we see consistent results among all these different labs, um, then I'm going to be a little bit more accepting of that because I'm going to see, because you may have one biased scientist that you may be able to buy off, but it's unlikely that you're going to be able to buy out four or five or six because, yeah. you know, as scientists, we, we, we take pride in our research and in our reputation. Reality check. The science of fiction. So for those of you listening, um, Dr. Escalante and I, we are both members of the um, National Strength and Conditioning Association. So we were talking a little bit at the national conference uh, this past year. And I told him that that was something I, I appreciate about you is that you live in both worlds. You are highly academic, but you're not just a nerd who's just sitting there reading books all the time. Like you are also very active involved in like, I guess, like your self-research. And so you you truly intimately understand everything that you're doing more so than just what someone's doing with like the research only. So I think that's super cool. And it's it's interesting to see like what kind of these limits of human performance could really end up being. Because we're talking about like what some of these drugs can do and what they can't do. So let's say, let's go back to your original metaphor. We're talking about having all of your baseline things taken care of. I've always thought of it this way. You have your offense and your defense or you have your above the line and below the line. Your defense would be everything below the line, sleep, nutrition, hydration, electrolytes, low stress, like that would be everything defense. So above that, if we're thinking offense, that would be all of the augmentation, the stuff that's beyond that. So let's just play around with some hypotheticals here. Because in the movie, um, Steve can run uh, 13 miles in a half hour, which is a half marathon in a half hour, which is half the time of the current world record which is held by a Kenyan, Alexander Mustio. I hope I said that name right. 
So what are some of our current understandings of the limit of PEDs and how much they can enhance someone? And I've always heard it described as like, uh, like with those NOS boosts you put on the car from Fast and Furious. I've actually never seen those movies, but I know about them. But you can put one of those boosts on like a crappy little Honda Civic and yeah, it's going to make it faster, but it's only going to go that much faster. Or you can put a booster on a Ferrari and it's going to fly. So again, with your having your defensive stuff lined up, it's like you want to make sure you're a Ferrari before you start to boost yourself. You don't want to try and strap a rocket to a Honda Civic. Yeah, no, I think that's a great analogy uh, to do that and to, to say that because um, a lot of people do like to try to strap that that booster on on their old beat up, you know, uh, uh, not even on the Civic. That's to you know on their 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 Pinto, <laughs> uh, you know, their their Ford Pinto from back in the day that that's barely up and running. So you know, so you're doing all these other things wrong, and then you you want to take this shortcut to take this this drug, and it's just not going to work. I mean, it's, it's going to work. But it's not going to work at maximum capacity. Where if you have, if you have, like you said, all your defensive base of bases covered, now all of a sudden you're going to be able to do that. And then that being said, also, uh, you know, we can't choose our parents, and there's a lot of inter-individual variability in um, our responses to training, our responses to nutrition. So you always have hyper responders, moderate responders, non-responders to everything. Where where you, I mean, you see this in the science where. You know, you, you, I love to look at the inter-individual variability. Uh, so when, when they report those, so you may have individuals going through the exact same nutritional intervention, training intervention, uh, dietary supplement intervention, and you have some responders that are like, whoa, like they respond, their strength goes way up. And then you have other responders who do the exact same thing that are male or female that are the same age. And then they get worse sometimes or they, or they only get like a tiny bit better. Um, and you see some of these things that, that do occur. So I think that, that the, the same thing happens with some of these performance enhancement drugs where you're going to have some individuals where a little bit goes a really long way. Um, and then uh, you have others where a lot, it takes a lot to get the same amount of response. So I think this is where there's a disconnect when sometimes people say, Oh, well, you know, this strong man or this top level bodybuilder, like they say that they only take this much stuff. They must be lying. Not necessarily. I mean, it could actually be that they're so genetically gifted and they're such hyper responders for that particular stimulus that it only takes a little bit of that to really get that uh, uh, great response for them. And same thing with side effects, because um, I like to use this example. You've probably seen that that grandma who's been smoking for 75 years. <laughs> and she's doing great. She's doing great. Who doesn't die of, of, of cancer, right? You know, but with her, it's like she doesn't really respond negatively to this smoking stimulus. So same thing with the performance enhancement drug. You may have an individual where they can take a lot of drug and it doesn't really affect them negatively. Whereas another individual, just a little amount of drug can greatly affect their cardiovascular system, uh, their their kidneys, their liver, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there's a lot of those different things, which is why we're going to kind of go back around to our first point, which is you need to monitor your health all the time to see what is going on with your health as you're using these interventions and different quantities. And not only measure it when you're off, because that's what often a lot of people do is like they only measure thinks I'm going to go to the doctor when I'm off cycle. No, you need to go to the doctor when you're on the stuff to kind of figure out. So you have a baseline. This is what happens when I'm off. I'm not completely off. This is what happens when I'm on at high levels. And then this is what happens when I'm off at uh, uh, completely or off at lower levels. And and what's the trend? Because if if certain biomarkers are creating a negative trend over time, then that's not necessarily a good thing. So cholesterol, for example, if you see your HDL cholesterol consistently low and your uh, HDL, your LDL cholesterol consistently high, and you see your blood pressure consistently high when you're on these drugs, there's going to be some cardiac remodeling going on and, and you're, you better pay attention. It's not going to happen overnight, but over the course of 5, 10, 15 years, that's where you're going to have some problems. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. I, I, I'm just eating this up right now. 
Um, I'm, I'm really kind of thinking back to um, Mike Stone. So Dr. Stone is another legendary person in the field. I respect him a lot. But he did a really fun lecture a while back um, about the the past, present, and future of the profession of strength and conditioning, human performance, and research. And he was talking about some of the things in the future, you know, talking about things like CRISPR and um, physical augmentations, putting different kinds of of metals or systems in the human body to enhance performance. But it makes me really think about what you just said is some people prefer some people are super responders and some people react very poorly. Can we test to, is there any way that we can predict who's going to perform or respond really well or really poorly to something? Is that genetics? Is it something we don't know what it is right now? Like, is there any way for us to test and predict how someone's going to respond to something? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're starting to be able to see some of that, you know, you see, you see different, um, you know, different, uh, genetic components of an individual or, or different different things are going to be expressed under different conditions and some are going to be expressed more than others but the but the problem with that is um is that there's there are so many things that we could look at is like which one do you do you kind of I, I identify uh and to actually identify the the specific one um and and I'll give what one big example is uh you know, like with, with creatine monohydrate, we have responders and non-responders with some of that. And, you know, like one, one baseline responder, uh, thing that, that you can typically see is like, well, if you're, if you're a vegan, you're typically going to be a, a good responder because your, your resting creatine levels are going to be low. Uh, therefore you're probably going to respond high rather than somebody who's, who's not vegan, who consumes, um, who consumes, uh, you know, some meat products. Um, their, their resting creatine levels are going to be relatively higher. But that being said, there, there may be some genetic components there in addition to that, that may actually make people, uh, more responders or, or less respondent to, to, to this particular, in this case, creatine, but it could be fill, filling creatine with filling the blank, right? With training, with a particular protein intake, with a particular drug that you're using, uh, you're going to have different responses. And, and the thing is, is there are so many so many genes that we could look at uh, that we we don't really know which one to target. So I think we're moving in that direction. I think you know we're, we're starting to see some of these things, um, you know, with with regards to to uh, genetics and testing. Um, but I think we have a long way to go. That's so exciting because it's like I I just um, we just uploaded the Dune episode where we talked about genetic enhancements and how the Benny Jesser order in the world of Dune is able to modify their genetics over time. And that episode ended up going really heavy into epigenetics or not epigenetics, um, eugenics. And it was, it ended up being a very grave warning for us to not play God, but it's like, and I, and I understand that and I heed that, but there's still that deep temptation it's like let's see just how high a human can jump let's see how strong we can get a human and it's like i i i think with my personality type i'm a performance driven person i always am going to be curious with how far we can push a human being ethically to the highest level of performance possible but it's like we do need to remind ourselves as a scientific community it's like when we start looking at things like genetics like we learned in the dune episode you don't know what expressing one gene could do to something else because you could you could select for a certain gene, but you don't realize that that gene's also associated with something completely different. And Absolutely. if you guys are interested in that episode, I'll link that one so you can get that whole uh, spiel from my geneticist expert. But I'm also curious, and I did have some people ask me to ask you this question. SARMs, they're such a hot topic right now. Are they something that academically we're looking at as a viable option for human performance or soldier augmentation in the future? Or are they just some weird thing that a bunch of guys in their warehouse gym are getting really into because they're not a PED, but they are? And for those of you listening, I'm doing quotations. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's a good question. Before you go there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that question, but there's a book that actually talks about pushing the limits of human performance. It's called The Perfection Point. And if you haven't read that book, it actually kind of talks about, it It hypothesizes like 
Like what's the fastest we can, we can run the hundred meter dash. What's the fastest we could swim a certain event. And it kind of uh, gives some hypotheses based on the technology that is available. And it basically kind of pushes all of the elements of human performance. And, uh, and it's, it's a really cool book. So if, if you haven't read it, I, I encourage, and I read it a few years ago. Um, and I, I have to look it up because I couldn't remember the title of it, but it's called oh. The Perfection. How fast, how far, how high. Uh, oh, I'm so definitely really- going to read that because I'm really interested in that. Yes. Yeah. Arms. Everybody, it's, yeah. the, it's the question that every, I want to say like every guy in college in their 20s and their 30s, they're like, not a drug. So it's not as bad. It's like, it's, you're the expert. Yeah. So it is a drug. Uh, it, it's, it's selective androgen receptor modulators. Uh, so basically, uh, they, they, they are drugs. Uh, they're, they're, they're very, they're, they're, not, most of them are not FDA approved uh, for anything. Um, there's very little that we know about them. Um, and what we see actually, there was a, an article published not too long ago by uh, Dr. Uh, Darren Willoughby. And his group of, of individuals, and they actually took an individual that was using some SARMs over a period of time. It was a case study, um, and um, you know they did find some some improvements in uh, in performance, but uh, we see a lot of deleterious side effects. Uh, and in fact, what we see is the deleterious side effects are you know as bad or worse than using anabolic steroids uh, or other performance enhancement drugs. And that the amount of benefit is actually not as good. So, wow. I, yeah, you wouldn't know that with the bro science. The bro science loves it. Yeah. It, so, there, so what we see is there, there's really not a lot of, I mean, if you're, if you're going to choose, um, if you're going to cross, the, if you're going to cross the road. So, number one, a SARM is still crossing the road. So, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not creatine, it's not protein. A SARM is crossing the road to a performance enhancement drug. Um, now, so it's a type of performance enhancement drug. How effective is it? Not very, uh, that, that has a lot of side effects. Uh, and, and we, we know very little about them. Uh, you know, again, there's, there's been a lot of research on anabolic steroids, uh, over the years because they were used and they are used medically and prescribed medically for a lot of different reasons. So we have research going back, you know, 60, 70 years plus, uh, in, 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 in that arena. SARS, we don't have a lot. Um, and in fact, um, again, this is why they're not, most of them are not FDA approved. So you're really not going to get the same benefit. Uh, and you're going to probably get uh, as much, if not more, side effect. Uh, okay. So the, just the benefit ratio is different. The one people were, were, the one group of individuals where it's a little bit different is with females because they do have, uh, they do have that ergogenic benefit. Uh, they do still have some potential consequences, but the main thing is, is uh, the virilization is usually a lot less with them. So uh, virilization in females is going to be typically less with SARMs than with than with others. You know, dosage appropriate. Um, that being said, we have a lot of research today on uh, the effects of females um, in using anabolic steroids, because uh, what is the biggest thing that we see a lot of people doing, which it just basically uh, the uh, the transgender population, right? Oh, yeah. I wasn't even thinking about that, but that's massive hormone usage. It's huge. So if so if you have if you if you have a female that wants to become a transgender male, what is the number one thing that they're prescribed is going to be testosterone. So we have a ton of research on that, whereas, and we know actually where where that where you you cross the line because the the side effect for a female who doesn't want to look like a man would be virilization, right? So, uh, but you know where you, where you cross that line because that's a desired quote unquote side effect for a female looking to be a transgender male. They want to look like a man, mm-hmm. right? They, they want to be more. They have those male characteristics, so. As a result, we actually know like how much, what kind of dosages can you utilize before you cross that line? Because the goal of that research and, and those individuals is to cross the line so that they can look more like males. Yeah, And that's when their testosterone for women, that's when their testosterone starts getting at or above like the 500 limit. Usually, yeah. 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 I mean, even, even 300, to be honest, that's the lower end of 
that's the low nanograms per deciliter. Because even at 300, I mean, that's that's still significantly higher than what a female is going to produce. It's on the low end for a male, but it's it's still on on you know, exorbitantly high for a female. What would you say is the optimal testosterone range for men? For optimal, not just average. Yeah, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, at least 700 to maybe 1,000 uh, would be kind of a, a good range. Where, where that, I, that validates me because that's what I say to all my athletes as well. I'm like, that's where you want to look it to be. And it kills me when I, I, they get their blood work back and they're at like 150, 200. I'm like, you are a 24-year-old man. You should not be at 150. Yeah, yeah. And and if they're doing that, then there's definitely some environmental things going on. This is where you're probably looking at alcohol intake, sleep, uh, stress, uh, other things. McDonald's, yep, all of it. <laughs> So um, I have I have one more question before I let you say if if there's anything else you wanted to cover. But would peptides are, are peptides similar to SARMs in the fact that they have more negatives than positives, or are they a totally different animal? Yeah, they're, they're slightly different, but at the same time, I think it's one of those where um, there, there's not a lot of research in them either. So I, I think a lot of what what we see is anecdotal. So uh, as a result, it, it's one of those where you really have to take it with, with a grain of salt. Um, and, and I mean, you just have to be so careful. I mean, I don't know if you, uh, if you remember, um, I, I can't remember the, the young gentleman's name right now. I'm blanking on it, but uh, Boston Lloyd. So Boston Lloyd died at 29 years old. Okay. Uh, and uh, Boston Lloyd, he, he utilized anabolic steroids. Yes. But in addition to abusing anabolic steroids for many years, he abused, I mean, he was his own self-experiment. He abused everything, including these, these peptides um, and uh, various types of peptides. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you don't know what you're putting into your body. It's, you, you don't know what their side effects are. Uh, uh, and, and he was utilizing it in higher dosages. So, you know, it's like, yes, he, he did die. This is one good example where, you know, it's not always cause and effect. A lot of people say, well, it's because of the steroids. I'm like, well, he was taking anabolic steroids, yes, in high dosages, but he was taking a lot of other things yeah. or well above and beyond that, which which contributed. I mean, and, and he ended up having a, an aneurysm um, and he passed away, but he was already on, um, he, he was like on stage four liver or kidney failure. Um, it's so sad at that age. Well, it makes me think also like Rich Piana. And I remember when he died, everyone was just like, you know, the steroids were probably just a fraction of the drugs that were in his body when he died. Cause that guy was taking everything possible and probably things that we haven't even heard of. He was, he was the drug guy. Um, this has been amazing. Has there been any other things that you wanted to touch on or that you, that you really wanted to mention to this audience before we get to our reality check moment? Because you're like, I could, I could talk to you all day, but I know you've got important things to do. So what are some other maybe important things you wanted to share with us? Yeah, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to double dip on the importance of working with a healthcare professional uh, to get your health checked. And this is whether you're on drugs or not. I mean, uh, I think a, a lot of individuals that are healthy, you know, they avoid going to the doctor and getting regular blood work done. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think at minimum once a year to to check all of those things, but definitely if you're using performance enhancement drugs, that should be something that you do three to four times a year and visit your doctor at least a couple of times a year uh, to get all of those things uh, in check and, and make sure that you're monitoring your health over time, because uh, otherwise you're just putting your head in the sand and you're not really looking at, at what's happening. And you may look great on the outside, but you're rotting on the inside. Uh, and then before you know it, you're going to be a statistic and you don't want to be a statistic. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's, I mean, there's so many resources for that. There's even online systems that like, you know, you can do subscriptions where it's, it's uh, blood work. They, they, they keep your blood work all in like a nice database. And if you have any recommendations for those, you can email me and I will put those in the link um, or in the description box below. Um, but let's do our reality check moment. You ready? Let's do it. So on a scale of one to five, how realistic would you say that Captain America's transformation was um, from pure fiction to science fact? Well, considering he ran a 30-minute uh, half marathon, 
I, I would say it's probably a, a three just because it was, it was a, uh, that's still very extreme regardless of what you're taking, but regardless, there's definitely some, some uh, likelihood that uh, something was working. Awesome. Well, there you have it. We got a three. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Are there any other um, promotions, places where people can reach you? If people want to follow up about your research, where's the best places for them to get a hold of you? Yes, I think the easiest one is uh, via my social media on Instagram, which is at Dr. GFit. That's all spelled out. Uh, so Dr. GFit. Um, and uh, you can find me there or you can actually just Google me, uh, Guillermo Escalante, uh, CSUSB or Guillermo Escalante Bodybuilding. Uh, you'll get access to my website or uh, you can find me on my university website there and uh, you can uh, uh, find find my contact information. Perfect. Well, I'm a, I'm definitely excited to read more of your research that you're working on. And I know, you know, we've done so much the past 70 years of research and the next 20, I think are going to be even more exciting because we have such a greater foundation to build on. So I'm excited. So thank you, everybody, so much for coming on Reality Check today. Let me know in the comments if you agree or disagree with Dr. Escalante's score of the Super Soldier Serum. And if you have anything interesting to add or questions or anything that you wanted to add to the conversation, please let us know in the comments. Till next time. Reality check. The science of fiction.